In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. Rocco Orlando is our guest this week on Money Tales. Rocco tells us that when he was coming out of college, he noticed he was an entitled, pretentious person who was taking shortcuts through life because so many doors were open to him. In short, Rocco was becoming someone he disliked. His antidote was to join the army. While Rocco qualified it as an officer, he chose to enlist as a private. This allowed him to start at the bottom with the intention of growing up. His plan worked, and he gained valuable money insights along the way. Today, Rocco is a project manager in the commercial real estate industry. He works on projects that range from complete ground-up construction to managing and overseeing landlord turnkey solutions. Along with his personal real estate investing ambitions, Rocco is working toward owning and operating a Formula 4 racing team. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Rocco hits on in this conversation. First, how after his parents divorced when he was a child, Rocco's father used money as a way to connect with him. As a result, Rocco learned he didn't need to save because he had a money faucet. Second, how two tours in Afghanistan motivated Rocco to develop productive money habits. And third, how Rocco has developed what he calls an extreme budgeting process because it's helping him achieve his clear and ambitious goals. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, onto our conversation with Rocco Orlando. Hey, Money Tales listeners. Really excited to have this conversation today with our special guest. And before we introduce him, I always like to ask Sandy, have you had any interesting money conversations lately? Cammie, I had such a fun conversation the other day. My son, Ben, who I've talked about before, is a high school senior. And a friend of his asked me to coffee because she wanted to get some mentoring and do some networking. We had a great conversation. I think we talked for about an hour and a half. At first, it was about college and careers. And then we got on the topic of paying for school and whether it makes sense to buy a car now and take a loan on the car or pay cash. And then we moved on to what's a 401k and do I need to start participating in one? Did she ask all these questions? She asked all these questions and she came prepared. She had a whole list and she was delightful. I was so excited to chat with her. It was a lot of fun. And Ben reported yesterday that she opened up a Roth IRA and started funding it. So I feel like it was a productive money conversation that we ended up having. That's a really special conversation. And I just admire someone 
like this young lady. I wish I was like her when I was her age. Really impressive. It was a lot of fun. So thanks for asking, Cammie. Absolutely. Well, I get the pleasure of introducing Rocco Orlando. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Rocco, would you introduce yourself briefly and provide a couple pivotal moments in your life that really impacted you that makes you the person you are today? Sure. I grew up in California, child of divorce. So between LA and San Francisco and Marin County, went to school in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills High School, lived a pretty privileged upbringing. My father was very successful in his line of work. And being a child of divorce, I think, at least my experience, when you're raised by one parent predominantly, I was raised by my mother, the father tries to make up for it by spoiling the child. So I started off in an early age with a very mixed understanding of money. And I think it caught up to me shortly after college. I went to Pepperdine University, which is not cheap and fully paid, didn't have to get a student loan. Father took care of everything, had a BMW. And then I think I was 23 years old and realized that I had become what I disliked so much in college, which were these entitled, pretentious young men and women who didn't really have to work and therefore tried to take the shortcuts through life because so many doors were just open for them just because they had better opportunities than most. And I saw myself going down the same route and on a whim decided to enlist in the army and start a military career. Granted, I graduated the university, so I could have come in as an officer, but I've realized, and I got very good advice, thankfully, from a family friend who said, you're not going in as an officer straight away. You need to learn to take care of yourself before you're going to be responsible for young men and women. Because I graduated in 2001, two weeks before 9-11. Wow. So the world changed in an instant. And if you're going to go into the military after 9-11, you know you're going to war. When I had enlisted, we were fighting on two fronts, both in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I knew this going in, but I decided to enlist anyways. And if anyone doesn't know the difference, an officer has a four-year degree and a junior officer, a second lieutenant, still has a tremendous amount of responsibility. Usually has 20, 30 men and women under command. Whereas an enlisted, you start off as a private, you work your way up and you really have to eat your humble pie. And for me, coming from going to school in Malibu to now I'm in a barracks at Fort Benning, Georgia in the summer, and it's 100 degrees out, 90% humidity. And I enlisted in the infantry, which is the tip of the spear in the military. And to my left and right are bunk mates, young men who didn't have anything, who come from small towns. Here I was thrown into the thick of things, but I needed it to grow up. I'm 44 years old, and I still consider myself a giant child. So I'm hoping that People that listen to this can learn a thing or two from the mistakes that I made. But I stayed in the Army for 10 years, two deployments to Afghanistan, spent about three years in country there, and then got out, geez, about eight years now, and have been in project management, construction, 
big construction projects, essentially what I do and run. And I'm now currently living in Boulder, Colorado. Rocco, we always like to go back and get that foundation. You grew up a child of a divorced parents and some aspect of the money situation where your dad would maybe gave you a lot of money that you weren't quite ready for. Would you share a little bit more about that experience as a young person growing up? When did money start having meaning to you? And how did you start learning your values, whether you look back and like those values now, but how did you start learning them? Well, I think, unfortunately for me, the relationship with my father, like most boys who are involved in a divorce, you tend to cling to the mom. And I was a mama's boy, big time. But she was a very independent, strong, savvy woman. So there was a lot to learn from her. But the issue I had with my father was was always the next purchase. I was always focused on the next gift or the next toy that I wanted. And even when I got whatever I wanted, I didn't even enjoy it. It was always the next thing. And that stuck with me. I mean, it's still with me now. I struggle with it today. But that sent me off on an altered course, if you will, where everything through my lens was about, again, it was the next item, the next purchase, the new apartment as I got a little bit older into my early 20s, very materialistic mentality. So money was just a means to get the next thing, the next great thing. I never looked at money as it was a tool for a material purchase. It was never something that I wanted to save or build up because quite honestly, I didn't need to save because I had this faucet. But once I graduated college, the faucet was immediately turned off. I turned 22, graduated, and my father's like, that's it. You're a man now. Go out and make your own. Rocco, was that a surprise for you? Oh, of course. So there's no conversations about setting expectations or leading up to this? No, no. And it wasn't like I didn't get anything from him after college. But let's just say for the purpose of this story was pretty much cut off after I graduated. And then I just kept taking the easy road, whether it was going out and finding a job. I never actually thought about Oh, what I really want to do with my life. It was, who does my family know? Who do I know that I can interview with to get a potential position somewhere? So I kept taking jobs that I didn't like because I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was just, that was the easiest path of least resistance. And as I got into my early 20s, I was hanging out with kids who didn't have their faucet turned off and had a stipend or a trust fund or a very successful family that they just inherited or walked into a position. And it was not a good crowd to be hanging out with. And I hated myself for not wanting to do more with my life and not wanting to figure out why am I here? and What can I give back? And how can I do something that's rewarding that at the end of the day is not only going to pay the bills, but is going to eventually start building some wealth. Because my mom always kept telling me, she's like, if you do what you love, the money will come. It will always come. 
but you have to do what you love. Otherwise, everything is just a job and you're going to hate it. And you're going to hate working nine to five and checking your watch every 15 minutes. And that's exactly what I was doing. And so for me, the drastic solution and everything in my life has always been extremes was, you know what? I don't like where I'm going. I'm going to enlist in the army. So tell us more about that because that's a huge pivot. It is. And to go from, like I said, I was taking these jobs I didn't like, but I'm still making a decent salary. And now I'm about to enlist in the army and become a private where I'm making $1,200 a month. What was that like? It was eye-opening, but it helped me begin to learn what it is to save, what it is to appreciate everything that you have instead of kind of breaking the cycle a little bit. And granted, like I said, I still struggle with it with the next purchase because it was either the car, the apartment, the stereo, the home theater, you name it, it was on my list. Spending time in Afghanistan, that was when I think I first began to actually understand the value of what it is to save money and to have money at the end of the month. I was literally the guy living month to month. And there's so many of us today live month to month, but I was doing it when there was no need for that. Like I didn't need any of this crap and I didn't need the apartment with the amazing view. I mean, my, my early twenties, man, you should take what you get and try and accumulate a little bit of wealth instead of just constantly going out. Well, Rocco, I want to know, would you describe what happened to you in Afghanistan that triggers a new perspective on wealth? Because although your salary is low, you all of a sudden had this new perspective that you wanted to save and you want to be more intentional. What was it? Well, I saw, so I'm living in what's called a bee hut, which is essentially a wooden tent. And you're sleeping with 11 other dudes. And it's God knows how hot in the summer and how yeah. cold it is in the winter. There's no walls in here. So the only way you separate your little living area from the next guy to your left and your right is a cord and some sheets. When you're in Afghanistan, you're getting paid combat pay. You're not paying taxes. And because you're not paying rent, you're saving a good amount of money. For the first time, I actually had money at the end of of the month. And then after six months, I'm like, oh, wow, there's thousands of dollars in this account. But the guy on my left and the guy on my right, this is mid 2000s. So Amazon had just started and you could actually get packages from Amazon in Afghanistan through the PO system. These kids were spending money left and right online because it was like this instant dopamine hit for a purchase. Mm. And so kids had all this crap in their hut to the left and right of me. They had TVs and DVDs and refrigerators and video games. And I mean, everything under the sun. And I couldn't understand, like, we're in Afghanistan. We're spending 12 hours a day on mission. The other 12 hours are you're supposed to rest and recuperate and reset. And instead, these guys are just spending thousands and thousands of dollars a month because somehow it's taking them away from the environment. And it is, it's really easy to fall into. What's that mail call this afternoon? That's the one thing I have to look forward to. That was mm. kind of the mentality 
So that was the first time that it went, dude, that's you. That's you right now. This is the first time that you're not doing that. You actually have money in your account. And at the end of a deployment, those who saved would come back and have what would be for a young soldier, a lot of money. But then I would see the same mistake when everyone came home, those who had saved, what did they do? They went out and bought a BMW, a depreciating asset. (laughs) Why? Because they could. They could afford it. And I got great advice from senior officers that I spent a lot of time with that were my mentors. And they were like, best advice I can give you is you just went through hell for a year. You now have this money in your account. Give it to somebody who you can trust, whether it's family or an investment advisor or lock it into an IRA or a CD or a savings account, but somewhere where you can't be tempted to touch it. And so what I did was for both deployments was the deal was I'll give 50% to my mother. She'll put it in an investment or stocks. And the other 50%, I can do what I want with. That, that was kind of the sales pitch. Got <laughs> <laughs> to enjoy some life. Right. And the first deployment, I gave her everything. I didn't uh-huh. spend any of it. And so by the end of the second deployment, I actually had a decent amount of money. And unlike my peers, I locked it away. And that was probably the beginning of the new Rocco, where money (laughs) actually had some value to it other than just the the next purchase. But the problem that I still didn't really learn until very recently was being a single guy raised by a mother and then going to college and then going straight into the military was I never learned to feed myself. So all I did every evening was eat out pretty much six days a week. And I never realized until just a few years ago how much money I was spending going out. I've got nothing to show for it. And it took a long time to finally realize that. What made you realize that, Rocco? To be honest, your nephew, when I met him and started talking with him and with his partner, Terrence. I should jump in here, Rocco. Yeah. For our listeners, we met Rocco through my nephew, Nick, who is a pretty special guy, a fan of Money Tales. And he was the one who said, you have to talk to Rocco. I'll let you go on with your story. Well, I saw these two guys that were successful, great salaries, but were very stringent with their money and very smart with their money. And Nick, he's 29 years old, but he still has a roommate. He's had a roommate for six years since straight out of college. I wish I had thought that way. When I first met Nick and spoke to him, I'm like, why couldn't I be like this guy when I was younger? I would be a millionaire right now. So maybe three or four years ago after meeting them and getting to know them, I had started looking at myself and said, so like, you need to start making some changes, Rock. And you are spending money in ways that you've got nothing to show for it and you're not getting anything out of it. And when COVID hit, that was like the first time where I realized 
wow, I really don't know how to take care of myself. I'm a giant child. I don't know how to cook for myself. Every meal I get is prepared or taken out or going out to a restaurant. All of a sudden, the world stops and all the restaurants are closed and you you have to take care of yourself. And I started to have more money at the end of each month. And I was like, oh, this is... um." This is a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. Maybe COVID is an eye-opener for me. And it was in many aspects. Rocco, your story is so fascinating, just the way it sort of ebbs and flows around money. And I want to go back to something that you mentioned before. You said as you were enlisting in the Army, you were struggling because you didn't know how you wanted to express the purpose of your life and help other people. I'm curious... Have you gotten present to that? And if so, what role, if any, has money played in that? Well, I think for me and what I learned from my mother who passed away a few years ago with cancer was she was big on design. She was a jewelry designer, but interior design. She she did everything. She worked with her hands and she created these beautiful things. And deep down inside, I like to create. And I want to build something that I'm creating, designing, but then I can own and operate. And I learned from your nephew, Nick, a little bit about investment in real estate. And for me, especially I'd say about four or five years ago, I wanted to begin to have enough money to start purchasing some properties. And that's really been the goal recently is to set up enough of these income streams where I get the reward of developing, designing, and building the property and all the intrinsic reward that comes with that. But then I get the financial reward of having income every month that comes in, that comes in rain or shine. It doesn't matter. It's coming in. And that would allow me to free my personal time up to do other things other than working, which I do now 12 hours a day, five days a week. It gets a little bit overwhelming. So having that desire to want to find these properties and develop them, that's going to take a significant investment. And so I've started to actually save for this particular goal. So to me, five or 10 years from now, I want to be able to have several of these properties that I'm managing. And that in and of itself is going to free me up to do whatever it is I want to do with my life. Speaking of that, Rocco, is it true that you really are into Formula One car racing and want to do that yourself? Yeah, I'm in Formula Four. Formula One is the top tier. That's the best of the best. But yeah, so my passion since I could speak, my mom said my first word was car and my second word was truck. (laughs) Where do you want to go? Car. What do you want to do? Car. So Formula Four racing, that's expensive. Yep. It's very expensive, but it is, it was what I was meant to do. It's, it's for me, that's living and that's worth fighting for. It's worth saving for. It's worth working towards the end goal is honestly, Nick and I have been talking is eventually have our own team one day and own and operate and run a team. Rocco, give us a sense of the cost of that. It's extraordinarily expensive. So the formula cars versus let's say a standard GT car, which would be your Ferrari and Porsche, the formula cars, they require so much upkeep that it 
takes, you need a race engineer, you need four or five mechanics for just one car. So that's a lot of mouths to feed. That's a lot of salaries that you're paying. And the higher the level of racing, the higher level of engineer and mechanics that you require. So the higher those salaries. So just in Formula Four. So this is the bottom of the ladder in Formula Racing. And you're looking at probably $20,000 a race. And there's maybe 12 races in a season. Yeah, it's extraordinary. You know, the races all over the world, like they are for Formula One. Yeah, all over the world tracks. And and that to me is the most exciting part is going out to these different tracks in the most amazing, beautiful parts of the world. You know, you could be in Tuscany, Italy, or just below Mount Fuji in Japan, or in the Ardennes Forest and the spa in Belgium, just the most insane, beautiful scenery and horizons and the tracks are so well groomed and just it's an an experience in and of itself just going to a race but being a part of a race weekend is next level Rocco you said when you were on tour in the army that you at one point were saving half of your earnings and spending half and that was some budgeting you were doing based on priorities at that time how are you thinking about saving toward the formula racing goal that you have and this real estate ownership goal that you have? For me, even when saving money in the army during these tours in Afghanistan, I never, ever kept a budget. Literally until COVID hit, I never actually went down the list of utilities, food expenses, I've never actually broken it down to the smallest line item until COVID hit. And when I realized how much money I was spending eating out. So I went the total extreme. I did a budget, went literally line item by line item of every purchase over the last 12 months, broke everything down. And I saw all this opportunity to save money. And I took it to the extreme. Today, I am sweating iTunes purchases. I have an Apple TV and I'll be like, oh, this movie is $3.99, babe. Do you want to watch it tonight? Ah, you know what? We've got Netflix. I don't need to spend the $4 on that movie. It got severe. But at the end of the month, I'm probably saving an additional 60% of my cash flow than I was prior to COVID just by keeping to this budget. And so now I have an idea of exactly how much I can save a month, what my goal is for the end of the month, what my goal is for the end of the year. And over the last 18 months, I've really, really limited expenses to where I'm able to do some of these races where a couple of years ago, it was totally out of the question. Do you get sponsors at this level? You need sponsors. I don't have many, but at this level, yes, it's literally... What I think we're going to have to do is what we call dialing for dollars (laughs) and just get a list of everybody you think that can help. Or if they can't help, can they give you the name of two or three individuals that I could potentially call who may help? And six degrees of separation. Hopefully, I'm going to meet somebody who's a friend of a friend of a friend that heard about me and they want to contribute to the program And for me, the racing is a way to raise awareness. It's a wonderful platform, whether it's via social media, 
or at the events themselves. But I want to raise awareness for my brothers and sisters in arms who struggle with suicide. It's awful. It's mm-hmm. like seven to nine veterans lose their life every day to suicide. Oh, so it's something that needs a lot of attention. And I feel like there are sponsors out there who want to contribute to a cause like that. So I'm hoping that in the future, that's exactly what the racing will bring or opportunities to raise better awareness and to get sponsors involved that will contribute to that. Purpose is coming together for you. I, I can hear that in this exciting stories you're telling, Rocco. Tell us, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I think it's going to be with Nick and Terrence to go more into detail on how we can begin finding properties outside of the States, anywhere in the South of Europe. I would love to be able to attract Americans who are willing to pay a good fee for a nice property that has all the amenities you can think of, a water view, but in these beautiful small villages in the south of Spain, where the cost of labor is half of what it is here, the cost of the land is literally half of what it is here. So the opportunity to build something that is attractive to an American tourist, but on the Spanish dime, if you will, since it's so far less expensive than it is here. I keep reverting to how special these two guys are, but they get money and they get leverage and they understand that it takes a particular formula and algorithm to determine if an investment is worth it or not. I don't have that experience like they do. I know how to build it. I know how it's going to look, how it's going to feel. I'm hoping to have success on a small scale, and then we can eventually take that and build it out to more and grow from there. And then the fun is finding the next set of the next purchase and the next material item. It's finding the next deal and the next adventure to go down. And when you build something from scratch, it's so much more rewarding at the end of the day, especially when you see that passive income coming in on your checking account at the end of each month. You're like, yeah, that was something we built and we developed. You know, Rocco, we talk a lot about the importance of having a team and support on Money Tales. We don't have to do this all ourselves. So just what you're talking about. You've got your expertise. The others have their expertise. That's what it's about. And finding those who can help you. It sounds like a great conversation that you're going to have. You are a special big kid. Now, those are your words, not ours, because you sound very intentional and passionate We're looking forward to watching you in your formula races, cheering you on, and really thank you for joining us on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you, Rocco. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.